Chapter Thirty Nine of I Say No. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. I Say No by Wilkie Collins. Chapter Thirty Nine. Feigning. The next morning, Mister Mirabel took two members of the circle at Monksmoor by surprise. One of them was Emily, and one of them was the master of the house. Seeing Emily alone in the garden before breakfast. He left his room and joined her. Let me say a word, he pleaded, before we go to breakfast. I am grieved to think that I was so unfortunate as to offend you last night. Emily's look of astonishment answered him before she could speak. What can I have said or done? she asked, to make you think that. Now I breathe again, he cried, with the boyish gaiety of manner. Which was one of the secrets of his popularity among women. I really feared that I had spoken thoughtlessly. It is a terrible confession for a clergyman to make, but it is not the less true that I am one of the most indiscreet men living. It is my rock ahead in life that I say the first thing which comes uppermost, without stopping to think. Being well aware of my own defects, I naturally distrust myself. Even in the pulpit, Emily inquired. He laughed with the readiest application of the satire, although it was directed against himself. I like that question, he said. It tells me we are as good friends again as ever. The fact is, the sight of the congregation when I get into the pulpit. Has the same effect upon me that the sight of the footlights has on an actor. All oratory, though my clerical brethren are shy of confessing it, is acting without the scenery and the costumes. Did you really mean it last night, when you said you would like to hear me preach? Indeed, I did. How very kind of you! I don't think myself the sermon is worth the sacrifice. There is another specimen of my indiscreet way of talking. What I mean is, that you will have to get up early on the Sunday morning, and drive twelve miles to the damp and dismal little village in which I officiate for a man with a rich wife who likes the climate of Italy. My congregation works in fields all the week, and naturally enough goes to sleep in church on Sunday. I have had to counteract that. Not by preaching, I wouldn't puzzle the poor people with my eloquence for the world. No, no, I tell them little stories out of the Bible, in a nice, easy, gossiping way. A quarter of an hour is my limit of time, and I am proud to say some of them, mostly women, do to a certain extent keep awake. If you and the other ladies decide to honour me. It is needless to say you shall have one of my grand efforts. What will be the effect on my unfortunate flock remains to be seen. I will have the church brushed up, and luncheon, of course, at the parsonage, beans, bacon, and beer. I haven't got anything else in the house. Are you rich? I hope not. I suspect I'm quite as poor as you are, Mister Mirabel. I am delighted to hear it. More of my indiscretion. 
our poverty is another bond between us before he could enlarge on this text the breakfast bell rang he gave emily his arm quite satisfied with the result of the morning's talk in speaking seriously to her on the previous night he had committed the mistake of speaking too soon to amend this false step and to recover his position in emily's estimation had been his object in view and it had been successfully accomplished at the breakfast-table that morning the companionable clergyman was more amusing than ever the meal being over the company dispersed as usual with the one exception of mirabel without any apparent reason he kept his place at the table mr wyvil the most courteous and considerate of men felt it an attention due to his guest not to leave the room first all that he could venture to do was to give a little hint have you any plans for the morning he asked i have a plan that depends entirely on yourself mirabel answered and i am afraid of being as indiscreet as usual if i mention it your charming daughter tells me you play on the violin modest mr wyvil looked confused i hope you have not been annoyed he said i practise in a distant room so that nobody may hear me my dear sir i am eager to hear you music is my passion and the violin is my favourite instrument mr wyvil led the way to his room positively blushing with pleasure since the death of his wife he had been sadly in want of a little encouragement his daughters and his friends were careful over careful as he thought of intruding on him in his hours of practice and sad to say his daughters and his friends were from a musical point of view perfectly right literature has hardly paid sufficient attention to a social phenomenon of a singularly perplexing kind we hear enough and more than enough of persons who successfully cultivate the arts of the remarkable manner in which the fitness for their vocation shows itself in early life of the obstacles which family prejudice places in their way and of the unremitting devotion which has led to the achievement of glorious results but how many writers have noticed those other incomprehensible persons members of families innocent for generations past of practising art or caring for art who have notwithstanding displayed from their earliest years the irresistible desire to cultivate poetry painting or music who have surmounted obstacles and endured disappointments in the single-hearted resolution to devote their lives to an intellectual pursuit being absolutely without capacity which proves the vocation and justifies the sacrifice here is nature unerring nature presented in flat contradiction with herself here are men bent on performing feats of running without having legs and women hopelessly barren living in constant expectation of large families till the end of their days the musician is not to be found more completely deprived than mr wyvil of natural capacity for playing on an instrument and for twenty years past it had been the pride and delight of his heart to let no day of his life go without practising on the violin 
"'I am sure I must be tiring you,' he said politely, "'after having played without mercy for an hour and more. "'No, the insatiable amateur had his own purpose to gain "'and was not exhausted yet. "'Mr. Wivell got up to look for more music. "'In that interval, desultory conversation naturally took place. "'Mirabel contrived to give it the necessary direction, "'the direction of Emily.' "'The most delightful girl I have met with for a many a long year past,' Mr. Wivell declared warmly. "'I don't wonder at my daughter being so fond of her. She leads a solitary life at home. Poor thing! And I am honestly glad to see her spirits reviving in my house.' "'An only child?' Mirabel asked. In the necessary explanation that followed, Emily's isolated position in the world was revealed in few words, but one more discovery, the most important of all, remained to be made. Had she used a figure of speech in saying that she was as poor as Mirabel himself? Or had she told him the shocking truth? He put the question with perfect delicacy, but with unerring directness as well. Mr. Wivell, quoting his daughter's authority, described emily's income as falling short even of two hundred a year having made that disheartening reply he opened another music-book you know this sonata of course he said the next moment the violin was under his chin and the performance began while mirabel was to all appearance listening with the utmost attention he was actually endeavouring to reconcile himself to a serious sacrifice of his own inclinations. If he remained much longer in the same house with Emily, the impression that she had produced on him would be certainly strengthened, and he would be guilty of the folly of making an offer of marriage to a woman who was as poor as himself. The one remedy that could be trusted to preserve him from such an infatuation as this was absence. At the end of the week, he had arranged to return to Vale Regis for his Sunday duty, engaging to join his friends again at Monksmoor on the Monday following. That rash promise, there could be no further doubt about it, must not be fulfilled. He had arrived at this resolution when the terrible activity of Mr. Wivell's bow was suspended by the appearance of a third person in the room. Cecilia's maid was charged with a neat little three-cornered note from her young lady, to be presented to her master. Wondering why his daughter should write to him, Mr. Wivell opened the note, and was informed of Cecilia's motive in these words. "'Dearest Papa, I hear Mr. Mirabel is with you, and as this is a secret I must write. Emily has received a very strange letter this morning, which puzzles her and alarms me.' "'When you are quite at liberty, we shall be so much obliged "'if you will tell us how Emily ought to answer it.' Mr. Wivell stopped Mirabel on the point of trying to escape from the music. "'A little domestic matter to attend to,' he said. "'But we will finish the sonata first. End of chapter 39